You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. It's obviously going to be a little bit different than we normally are. This is me trying to be restrained and work on my teaching gifts versus my preaching gifts. So if I sit down, I'm not so excitable. And I'm not going to wander around the stage and start pacing. So David has already chastised me and said, you need to sit down more. And so I'm sitting down more. Um, Let me do this. Let me pray. And then we'll get started for this evening and what God would have for us. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for your sacrifice, for the life that you give us as believers. And we thank you for your word, your truth that we can stand on and know what your word says about any given subject. And Lord, we want to trust you in all things. And so I ask that we open your word today that you would reveal to us the truth of who you are and what you would have for us. Uh, I ask that we would um, communicate in a way out of love and respect and that tonight is a night where we can just sit under your authority, uh, not anyone's personal opinions. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Okay. So a couple things up front. When you came in, you got a list of scripture and notes. Um, Feel free to take those, uh, write notes on them. Some of the verses I'm going to just quote and shoot through. Some I will stop and read on, but you can make notes on all those. Go back, read those. Um, That's what we want. The other thing is that if you want to ask questions throughout the service, there's a number up here. Um, There it is. Sorry, I'm getting, there's too many screens. I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing around. Um, there's a number on the screen. You can text questions to that. And you're like, I don't like testing, Simon. That's great. We gave you a piece of paper and there's a pen in front of your seat. You can write those down. And by the end, what you do is you're going to take those back to Mark. And so what we're going to do is we're going compi- to compile any questions. There'll probably be similar questions at times. And we'll just kind of ask those the best that we can for you. So we will provide a little bit of time for Q&A uh, in that format. Does that sound fair? Here's what I want to do. Uh, Before we even start, I want to just read a passage of Scripture, and then I want to let that set the tone for what we are doing tonight and why we are even doing this. So uh, I'm going to start. If you have your Bibles, I would say I'm glad you brought them. Um, This is really in line with the idea of what we want to do is start becoming... Uh, a church that knows, understands, uh, goes through God's Word. I love preaching through His Word and having a real tangible Bible. So if you brought it, great. Um, hopefully you're using that on a regular basis. So 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17 is where I want to start. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my uh, persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecution I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." Why do I start there? Because that is exactly where we need to start. It's the very reason why we are here tonight. It is the thrust of what we need to understand as Christians that we need to be men and women that realize that God has given us his word for what he would want for us, what life looks like best, how we can honor and glorify him with our lives and all things. This is a world that we live in that is going to and fro and the culture is pushing aggressively. If we do not have a firm foundation to stand on, we have nothing at all. And so we want to make sure that we are going to be a church that stands on God's word in all things. Knowing that it's breathed out means that we can say, oh, this author wrote this. If it's in the Bible, in the canon of scripture, it is the word of God. Okay? We need to understand that. Um, It's not, well, that's Paul, that's John, that's... God inspired them and gave them the words to write the scripture. So what we read is the word of God when we read it. Um, I would say that as the world is constantly changing in what it values, 
we just need to make sure that we understand when it is a lie and when it is truth. If we don't have a gauge, there's no way that we can understand what is true and what is a lie. Sometimes the culture can be very convincing and very persuasive. It is the man and the woman of God who understands what plumb line to hold up to that truth that will give them the eyes to see what is accurately from him and what is not. So it is our goal here at Grace Hills that we are fully committed to preaching God's word constantly. Um, you'll notice that there are a lot of verses on, on there. there. There needs to be a lot of verses on there. We're going to be talking about things that people may have lots of opinions and that may have some very passionate feelings about. But as much as I respect your feelings and your passions, if it's not in line with God's word, we have to be very cautious with why we hold to those things. Is that fair enough? Um, I would also say this. As we move into the culture and we see that there are going to be Christians, men and women, that want to teach God's word, but unfortunately at times are leading God's people astray because they want to, in an attempt to love people well, they are putting aside doctrine that's actually very important. And so how do we know, especially in the church, when we have truth and when we don't? Again, it comes down to this very idea that we have. They are going to be false teachers. And so we have to know how to, to look at that. So that's, you're like, that's a long preamble, Simon. I know it is. But that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read a lot of Scripture. And we're just going to look at a lot of Scripture. We're going to look at Scripture that's used by some pastors, local pastors, and the large churches in the area. And we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at that in what I would say is the appropriate context and the appropriate way that the words are being used in those sections of Scripture. And so I'm going to try my best to do that. Uh, I am a flawed human being like anybody else, and uh, I'm going to do my darndest as, as we do that. Uh, I want you to know that it's not my intent to pick a fight with any church. And so I won't be naming specific churches. It's not my uh, desire to uh, pick a fight with a pastor uh, in, in this area about this particular subject. And so I'm not going to be naming specific pastors as well. That's, that's what I want you to understand. Um, we are not talking about a salvation issue tonight, okay? I just want to lay that out there. As we talk about this, we are not talking about a salvific issue in nature, but we are talking about really the interpretation of what we have in God's word and more importantly why we here at Grace Hills hold to the stance that we have in that and ultimately why we believe what we believe here as we're reading God's word. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the subject of the role of women in church leadership, uh, specifically women as pastors, elders, and teachers is what we're going to be looking at and exploring. Um, I, I also want you to know this, I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to um, bash, speak illy of uh, women in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they are made in the image of God, and they are a gift from God for uh, men and for humanity as well. And so I want you to know that I have women in very high regard as we speak about this. So um, as we look at culture, we've talked a little bit about it. Culture is a powerful thing. It changes the way that people think. The enemy knows this, right? The enemy understands if he can get the, the culture to move in a certain direction, it can get the masses to then put pressure on the world around you. And so as we are people that look for acceptance in who we are, we tend to clump up with those that have that acceptance and think the same way. And if the enemy can get the culture thinking in a certain pattern and way, it can make us start to cave to the pressures of the world. Think about the perception of what we believe was right and wrong just up to 10 years ago. Think back 10 years and where we are today. The views on homosexuality, transgenderism, gender identity, drug use, homelessness, except we could just go down the line, right? All these views have changed over the last decade, two decades, three decades. And so I want to look at a verse that kind of addresses this idea. Um, there it is. It's going to be in, oh, I lost my place there. Second Timothy 4. Thank you. See, you guys are more on this. You should come up here and do it. Um, Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It feels as though we are there. 
Am I, is it just me or does it feel like we're already there that we are looking for people that are going to suit their passions and their desires? This is what I feel. This is what I want. I've had someone talk to me and says, well, in my heart, I just believe that this is what God wants. That's a dangerous statement. I don't, I mean, I love you, but your heart is deceiving you. It will deceive you. It is going to do that. And so we see that and we go, well, what does that mean? But with that in Ephesians 4.14, it actually would say what that does, so that we may no longer be, so it, to hold fast to God's word, to be unity in the body, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. This is exactly what the enemy did in the garden, isn't it? It took parts of God's word and twisted it, manipulated it to make it say something that wasn't true to deceive Eve and deceive Adam that they believed something that wasn't right about God. And what we see as the, the thing that came from that ultimately was the sin of the world that entered in and ruined everything and brought a separation and death. So as we study the Bible, we need to understand that there are going to be things in the Bible that are difficult to understand. Fair? Is that a fair statement? There are things in the Bible like, that's strange, that's odd, that's hard to understand. So what can happen at times is there'll be people that get these really odd verses that maybe feel out of place, and they can do one of two things. They can take the totality of Scripture and say, well, this is what we know about God's fullness, the breadth and width of His Word, and we can lay that on top of it so we know that this is true, and we take what we understand, we lay it on top of what's harder to understand to bring us insight, right? That's one way that we do it, and I would really recommend doing that. Take all of God's Word to understand those sections of Scripture that can be difficult. But what can happen at times, we can take one part of Scripture and we can create entire doctrines out of it without having any other Scripture involved in it. And that happens quite often as people take these areas and they want to run with them and what they would do. And so really what we want to do is we want to lay all of God's Word over this to not make up theology based on one passage, our thoughts, our ideas. We're not trying to shove our ideology into God's Word. We want God's Word to speak for itself. So where I want to start tonight is with the term complementarianism. Uh, I want to start with that term, and this is the definition of that term, uh, a major Christian view on gender roles that holds that women and men are spiritually equal, but have distinct and complementarian roles in the home, church, and wider society. Okay, so this is rooted, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, uh, then the Lord God said, this is by the way before the fall, before sin, it is not good, first time something was not good in a perfect world that God had made, that the man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. If you go down to verse 22, it then says, and the rib that he, um, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her into the man. So we see from the very get-go that there is equality, right? There is equality between man and woman because they were made in the image of God. They're made in the image of God. They have worth and value because that's how they were designed. But yet we see that there is a difference, that there is a distinction between them. It's not that um, Adam was flawed by sin in some way, but God said, I'm going to provide a helper for you, someone like you, but who is also different. And so that person is going to live alongside you, do life with you, and they are going to be a complement to you. Right? So that's why we get the term complementarianism. That's where that term actually comes from and why we use it. We need to understand that roles in relationship and submission in relationship is not bad. We would say, oh, that's horrible, that's oppressive, that's misogynistic, that you would have these specific roles for men and women uh, and that someone would have to submit to somebody else. And, and all I would really say is that it is not sinful and it is not evil. How do I know that? Because there are roles and submissions in the Trinity itself. We see that, that God is pure, that he is whole, that he is not sinful in any way, that he is righteous in all things, he's completely holy, and yet we see that the Son submits to the Father, the Spirit submits to the Son, right? So we see that there are roles and submission in how the Trinity plays out. As a matter of fact, when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, do you know how he refers to him? as a helper. The same idea, the same concept that 
Eve was given to Adam, that there is a helper for it. So that's going to be in John 15, 26 to 27, or John 14, 16. You can see that the Trinity functions in perfect harmony the way it's meant to be. If we are made in the image of God, then that we are going to have similar roles in that as well, that there will be submission and there will be roles in that relationship as well. Now, the other side of complementarianism is egalitarianism, okay? So it's a major Christian view on gender roles that holds that women and men properly have equal and interchangeable roles in the home, church, and wider society, okay? So that would be that stance that you can do anything the other can do and all roles are interchangeable in every single way. Uh, some would say that they would pull this idea from Galatians 3.26, um, and really what's being talked about in that six verses, there's no longer Greek nor Jew nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Okay, that would be the term that's being used. Um, but you are all one in Jesus Christ. But what they're talking about is they're talking about salvation and being saved and that we are all one family, that we are adopted into the family of Abraham for our salvation. So that's really what's being talked about in that section. But even if you want to hold it like that's the verse that says that we can have egalitarianism, I would just say that it gets, um, it gets hard really quick because what you're saying is that when Jesus came and died for the sins of the world, what it was saying then is that there was something wrong with the role of man and woman in that moment. And if God designed man and woman in the garden with roles and submission in, that, in those roles, then there's something wrong and it has to be rectified. That's really what we're saying within that. So it gets a little bit hard in that if we want to hold that view. Um, you'll find that most churches that have female pastors or female teachers are egalitarian churches for the most part. That's, that's really where they tend to lie for the most part. And those that don't have that are complementarian. Uh, here at our church, we have male elders and male pastors. That's who we are. We are complementarian by nature and how we view those roles and what scripture has laid out. So if you wanted to know, spoiler alert, there it is right up front. If you want to know where a church stands, just go to their website and look at our staff. You can find out real quick what their stance is when you're doing that. And how can I tell you that? Because when I was interviewing for churches and we went through the process, the first thing I would do is just go to the webpage and say, let's see your staff, let me see your elders and where you are. And I could just tell very quickly what they believe based on who they had on their staff. And so if you're looking, how do I know that? That's, that's a little trick that you can do to do that. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to read the verses that tend to be the most problematic, well, Problematic in the sense that we don't like hearing them at certain times. I'm going to read those up front. And I just want to read those and I want to ask a question to you and see where we land on that. Because what I'd like to do is as I read the Bible in these sections, um, if, we, if we can't understand the basics of what's been told to us in its simplistic form, I want us to see as we start to explore a different view how much harder it is to find the answers that we might be looking for to have a set set of doctrine or beliefs, okay? So let's start in 1 Timothy 2. First Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Um, that one tends to be the one that people don't like to hear and talk about. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, now I want to go to Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and, do, uh, and, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, uh, 
For an overseer, God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunken or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Okay, so here's my question. Um, you may not like those passages, but do you understand them? Is it, is it hard to understand those passages? So it's pretty straightforward. It's not like it's overly complicated, but it just says this is what God's Word says. So it talks about the role of an elder, an overseer, uh, Pastor Shepherd, and it talks about the role of who that is. Uh, it talks about he, 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 him, him, him. Okay, it says it a lot. Uh, in the first part that we looked at uh, Timothy in chapter 2, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. It's not hard to hear what's being said. Again, you may not like that, but that's what it says. So we understand that it's there. These need to be the key passages that we keep at the front of our mind as we read all the passages that we're reading tonight to understand what it says. When we speak of men and women and their roles and what they, God has called them to do as elder, overseer, pastor, and who's allowed to teach that doctrine. Now, um, As I went through this study and what I wanted to do, like I said, I, I went through just some basic teachings online of larger churches and pastors and what they had to say about this subject. And really what they were doing is they're saying, this is the direction that we're going. This is who we are as a church. And it just laid out their views on female pastors and, and why they're okay with that. So really what I'm doing is I'm just taking that, um, that message and I'm taking all the points that that pastor had and I'm just going to read them and then I want to just talk about each one. And so really the big idea is it comes out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And what you'll see is, where is my marker? Is that it's going to be a five-point message on the different roles. And the point that this pastor was trying to make is that every single role that's listed has been filled by a woman, therefore any woman can fill that position. That's really kind of the landing spot that this pastor landed in. So I'm just going to go through the points and then I'm going to read off the verse and we're going to talk about what's happening in the context of that verse and what I found as I said it. And really all I did was this. I listened, I wrote down the verses, and then I looked them up and I read them all the way above and all the way below. That's really all I did. So any of us can do this. So I'm, nothing I did was rocket science here. So the first one, let's see, let's get to the verse uh, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Um, we love that verse here. That is something that we hold to, that we aspire to in everything that we do, that we would be constantly equipping the saints to do the work of ministry so more men and women would come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we love that verse. That's a great verse, okay? But again, the argument that this pastor's making is that a woman can fill and has filled every one of these roles. So the first example is going to be apostles, okay? So... What we see is the verse that was quoted was Romans 16, 7. Um, and you'll have to forgive my uh, dyslexia. So if you're like, you pronounced that word wrong. I know. I'm completely aware of the names that I pronounce wrong. <laughs> so no need to correct. I'll just sit and wallow in my sadness later. Uh, greet and <laughs> Dronica and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So there is this name, Junia, that comes up in the Bible. And the pastor is saying, see, Junia is a female name. There is a female apostle that existed um, during the time of the early church. And that was the claim that was made. Well, it doesn't take much to read the text to see what it says as you look at that. Now, a lot of these verses were just referenced and they weren't actually explained. And so in my personal opinion... I feel like it's a bit deceptive when you don't walk through the entire passage. If you're going to make a claim, you got to make sure you walk through the verse in its totality to understand it. So if we look at this and say, was Junia an apostle? Okay. 
It says, greet them, so my kinsmen. Sometimes that word kinsmen is translated men or man, uh, depending on the translation that you have. My fellow prisoners. So these two individuals uh, were fellow prisoners with Paul. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So these people were saved before Paul, okay? They were in prison with him, and they are known by the apostles, so the focus of this individual says that Junia is claimed in this text to be someone who was an apostle. Well, all it does is even if it is a woman, there's some debate, A, if that was even a woman. So there is debate on that name and if that is a man or a woman. So that's the first thing that comes up within that. Um, it, it could potentially go either way. Uh, I don't know how the prisons worked in that day and age. I don't know if they had co-ed prisons. Uh, I would imagine that would be a bad idea, but... I didn't live in Rome during that time and I was never in prison, so I don't know. Um, but nowhere in the text does it actually say that either of them were apostles, right? It, it doesn't say that there. It says kinsmen or someone that was known to them and it says that they were known by the apostles. So there were apostles mentioned, but all it says is that they were known by those apostles, okay? And, and that's what as I started to do this study, I'm like, well, okay, I'm just reading scripture. Like, you, you don't have to dig very far. I'm not going into Greek. Uh, I'm, I'm not breaking those words down. I'll, I'll do some of that here, but that's not what's being said. And so, it, and it clearly doesn't say that they are teachers or pastors. So that's not the term being used. As uh, Wayne Grudem would talk about in his book, Systematic Theology, he talks about the term apostle that is very narrow and it's very wide. That at times it's referring to the apostles, capital A apostles. Those are going to be the 12, right? Those are the ones that uh, knew Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that knew him before, that he, they saw him die and they saw the resurrected state of Christ, right? That's why Paul can say that he was an apostle as well. That's why he makes that claim, okay? But it's also in the sense that we have a small A apostle at times as well and how that's applied. And that replies to those that weren't in the capital A uh, version of that. So that text is, is pretty easy to say, like, no, I just don't see that in the text for the verse you're quoting. So the next one would be prophets. And the verse that was quoted for this being the fact that there was female prophets was Acts 21, 8 through 9. It says, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, we don't have a problem with that because we have other passages that show that there were women that prophesied at times. Acts 2, uh, 17 through 18 show that. They talk about that. So that is something that did take place. So we support that verse and say, yes, that could happen. What we want to know is what does he mean when he says prophesy? Like, what's, what's a prophecy? Well, the definition is to deliver a prophetic message, either a proper behavior to a standard or future events. Now, you got to remember we're in Acts, right? So there's a lot of communicating of what's going to happen in the future in the Bible. As this church is being born, God is giving them information and messages saying, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. And, the, and he was using women to do that at times, okay? It's also to a proper behavior to a standard. It's calling someone out. That is sin, that you are in sin. Um, I can tell you I've been called out many times in my life, uh, sometimes by men and sometimes by women. I can tell you that someone wasn't preaching or teaching to me in that moment. They were just calling me out to God's word and saying, that is inappropriate behavior. I said, okay, I can accept that. It's uncertain if these daughters spoke about future events are calling to a biblical behavior. We don't know. We don't know what they were calling to. We don't have text that would actually indicate that. If we look at, again, the rest of the prophecies in the book of Acts, there's much that points uh, to the ability to declare future events. And that was something that was very common as we saw that. So once again, we're not talking about pastors. We're not talking about teaching and having an authority over a congregation. We're not talking about setting doctrine from uh, the pulpit. Uh, this is about a gift being used in the proper context. And I think that's the thing that we need to understand. As we talk about gifts and abilities, God gives gifts and abilities to all of his children. All of us have gifts and abilities he's given us. The issue is this, are you using them in the proper context for what God has designed them to be used in? 
And if God has given them a proper context to be used, that's where he's going to receive the most glory. And so we're just talking about where do you use those? Are you using those in the appropriate way? Um, <clears throat> so then he moves to um, evangelist, okay? And so I would say... Um, well, let's just read, let's read the passage and talk about it. I just want to kind of say some of the claims that are being made in this particular passage, especially currently, and you might be hearing this in some theological circles right now. So the verse is this in John 20, 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, uh, Rabboni, uh, uh, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and he has said these things to her. It's, um, man, first, what a blessing that God would speak to Mary. How, how awesome is that? That he would go to her and like, even if you look at what Christ is doing in this situation, um, women in that day and age couldn't even be used their word in a court of law. But the first person that he goes to see that's there is Mary, and he says, I want you to go tell the brothers. I want you to tell the guys what's going on here. Like, the fact that, I mean, I'd be happy if God chose me to tell someone, like, you left the door open. I'd be really happy with that. So, but I haven't. Didn't get that one. So it's a blessing that God would choose Mary, and Mary was an agent for the, some, some pretty amazing news. Like, how, how amazing is that? And so um, I want to just give proper respect to that and, and just acknowledge what an honor that was. But what the pastor that I was listening to was trying to communicate, he, the message got really muddled, and what the terminology that he would use and others have used is like, ah, so what we see here is the first person to give a sermon was Mary. So she went and apparently she is allowed to preach to the apostles, that she has authority to preach to the apostles. Now you may say, well, who, it doesn't matter. It's a well-known pastor who is saying this, and this is what he truly believes now, that the first sermon ever preached was by Mary. Now, I think it's, it, it's awesome what she got to do, but I would not say that what she was doing was teaching and preaching to the apostles in that moment. I think she went with much fervor and excitement and love and joy to say, our Savior has risen. He is not dead like we believe. And that is amazing. That's a great thing. And so if you look at the word announced, the word is defined as to bear a message, to inform somebody of something as a messenger. That's really what it is. Um, I think all of us would be well advised to take Mary's example and let most people know that our Savior is not dead, that he is alive, that he has conquered sin and he has conquered death. That is fantastic. That is good evangelism. That's evangelism 101. All right, that's something that we should all be doing so we can take what Mary did and apply that to our lives. But I would say this, if this is your basis that you would say is like a bedrock foundation for women being able to teach and preach, it feels loose at best. And I'm not trying to be um, misogynistic in any way, but it just seems like you're grasping at some straws and you're inferring and implying things that actually I don't see in the text that are there. <clears throat> and so again, what we see is this is gifts and roles in the church and how we should do that. So women have the ability to be able to share and to, to communicate the truth of the gospel, and they should. And so I'm excited about that. Um, four. Shepherds, okay. Women as shepherds. First uh, Corinthians sixteen nineteen nineteen. Uh, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, um, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So this was a verse that was used to say, like, look, see, there are female shepherds in the church, and they are shepherding, and they are doing the things that a shepherd does. Um. There are five passages that speak of Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. Look them all up. I'll give you the verses. Here they are. Acts 18, 18 through 19. Acts 18, 26. Romans 16, 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. 2 Timothy 4, 19. Uh, those are the five times that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned by name in the New Testament. Um, it is clear this husband-wife team was instrumental in the church. No question about it. Um, 
Man, I look at them and I'm like, I want Annette and I to be like that. I want to be that kind of a couple that is about God's work, that is helping the church, that is striving to bring people in, to teach people, to communicate with people in different ways, to open up our homes. I want to be that. Like, I love who they are. Um, I love how they came alongside um, different people at different times and helped them in different ways. Uh, they're fantastic. There's no questioning that they were instrumental in the growth of the church. Uh, Paul talks about it all the time. It's great. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that they were pastors. It doesn't say that they were shepherds. It doesn't say that they were overseers. They're not bishops. None of those things are mentioned. And so what we start to do is we start to infer what we want that to be. And, and that's really what's happening here. Um, now, we do have this one section like, well, I got one, Simon. There was a point where there was teaching and I got it. So let's, let's look at it. Uh, Acts 18, 26. He began to speak boldly, talking about Apollos, in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, so that's one. They say, see, there, there it is. There's the teaching. There's the preaching. Well, what we see is a husband and wife together took aside a young man who was preaching very well. As a matter of fact, he's known as one of the better preachers. Paul would say that he was better than him. And they're saying, hey, do you even know who you're talking about? He's like, no, not really. Who is it? And they're like, it's Jesus. Like they were letting him know who the, who the Messiah was that they were talking about in that section. It doesn't say that she came along and took him aside and that's not what it says. But together they came alongside. They invited him to the home. I would imagine that was probably over a meal. It was probably over food. And they had a conversation about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Why? Because they wanted to be more effective in his preaching. They wanted to be more complete in that and talk about who Jesus was. So people knew who to turn to when the gospel was preached. So I look at that and I go, you, you, you don't see that the text doesn't support the claim that's being made. And then the last one is going to be teachers. So this is the verse that was quoted uh, in Romans 16, 1 through 2. Uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. So we know they're talking about a woman, so there's no confusion there. A servant of the church of, uh, what's, how do you say that? Uh, anyone? That's the one that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So let's just kind of look at this and see what we know about Phoebe and who she was. So this pastor would point to Phoebe as a teacher. Um, this is not the role that she had. Phoebe was a deaconess. That, that's who she was. That's, that's how she's known. And I'll, and I'll show why in a second here. Um, the word used to describe her, uh, a servant of the church, uh, this idea servant uh, is a person working in the service of another. But here's the kicker. That word can be also translated as servant deacon. So that's how that word can be translated out. Okay. The term teacher once again, does not appear in this passage. When, when Paul commends her to the church, um, that word commends means to recommend, to present as worthy of regard, kindness, or confidence. So it's not about her being ordained in any way. It's not about her being called to be the pastor of that church. It's just saying, man, I'm just, I commend her. She is worthy. She, I, I cannot speak highly enough about this individual. I do that about uh, men and women all the time. I said, man, that is just an amazing woman of God. That's an amazing man of God. There's nothing wrong with doing that at all. It's also good to note that many scholars believe that she was an extremely wealthy woman, like very, very wealthy, um, because of the term patron, which means female benefactor. That's what that word translates into. A woman who contributes to the fulfillment of a need or furtherance of an effort or purpose, especially with her financial resources. That's what that word means. So if you just start to break the words down and you look at them, nowhere does it say anything that alludes to a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, an overseer, a shepherd. None of those things show up. Not once do we see those. 
If you go back to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, we've got these two groups of individuals that exist, okay? So what you have, um, elder, <coughs> excuse me, pastor, overseer, elder, that's an interchangeable word, that's verses 1 through 7, okay? And there's a break, and the next verse is uh, verse 8, and then it addresses the qualifications for deacons. The first part is the qualifications for elder, overseer, shepherd, pastors. You know, those are all interchangeable words. You can use that. And then the second section is deacons. Now, I remember the first time that I saw this, I never really understood it. And I was reading through. Um, and if you ever saw my Bible and how it was highlighted, there's a lot of very specific words that are highlighted. And it's the pronouns. They become really important as you look at this section. We talk about pronouns all the time now. It's all in the news, but this is an interesting way to look at pronouns. And so we're going to look at the pronouns in this section and see what's happening. This is not two separate letters. This is not two separate sections of a letter. This is one continual thought as Paul describes the roles that exist. So I'm just going to kind of like point out a couple of things. And I'm going to emphasize, not because I'm trying to be rude. I just want to emphasize the point. The saint is trusted if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, uh, not violent, uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for it? God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the combination of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Are, are we catching the male pronoun that's being used in that. It's, it's very clear. It's very evident. The next sentence, he has a complete shift of pronouns. Let's just read it. Deaconesses. A deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. There's a lot to explain there and I can't unpack it right now. Managing their children and their own household well for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. There's a huge break, a huge distinction that Paul is making in this particular section of Scripture. Very clearly he's talking about males in the first section and then he's using a gender-neutral pronoun in the second part. Maybe you don't know it, maybe you do. We have deaconesses here at our church. That's why. That is, that's why we have deaconesses and what they do. Here's another thing to be interested about. So a lot of the qualifications sound very similar, don't they? Talks about how they treat people, how they act, being respectful, not being drunk with much wine. All those things are there, right? There is one thing missing from elder to deacon. It is teaching. That is the one thing that is not one of the qualifications for deacons or deaconesses. So we can see that a male and female can be a deacon, but the role for teaching, preaching, the doctrine of the word, especially according to Titus, the very end of that section, is very clear on what that role, who that role belongs to. Okay, so that's why we hold to that. Um, I'm not sure why this pastor chose this section. I, I have no idea why, because it really doesn't support what he was actually claiming to be true. At this point in the video, he would kind of switch off to some other things. He, he, he'd kind of jump back into elders and deacons. And he goes to the section in 2 Timothy. And he kind of lays out that idea of, you know, oh, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise. So he had to address it because it's like the bold, like glaring one that's hard to get around. And, and where he landed, which is an argument that I hadn't heard before, was he says, well, it's two verbs to explain one idea is how he was trying to get around that. Meaning that a woman cannot take authority over a man to teach. So you, you can't, so, so I just go, okay, well, let me see if I can understand what you're saying. So the idea would be is that 
a woman could just walk into an assembly where people were meeting and say, all right, I'm teaching here and just start teaching. Now, I've never seen anyone do that before. Uh, not in any church that I've ever been a part of. I've never seen a man storm in and be like, all right, you got it all wrong. Let me just take care of things here. So I'm just sit down and I got it covered. So it just seems like a weird idea that this, this double verb, oh, well, you can teach, but you don't have the authority to just barge in and take it for yourself. Well, so how do you get around that as a church? Well, this church said, well, how we, so this is how this works. This woman has not taken authority for herself. The elders have given her authority to then teach that. And so that's how they would explain that particular stance. So it's not that she came and just took it and, and made it her own to do that, but she has approval from the elders. So we have, she is borrowing the authority of the elders and they know and they trust me. And so therefore I can then communicate on behalf of the elders. And that would be the defense that, that would be used for that particular statement. I'll let you make the judge if you think that that's a fair argument or not. Um, there's a lot of assumptions with that idea um, to think that that's how the congregations would gather and get together. We get that they didn't have for 300 years. There wasn't a church building like this. Completely understand that. Um, but we also know from Paul's description that there was order and chaos when in, in the assembly meetings. Uh, we, it's clearly talked about um, how tongues are used in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. And so we know that there was order. So the way that things were done, there was, they, they, they handled it with a certain way. So how it'd be done is he said, there's guardrails of tongues. So if someone says, I'm going to speak in tongues, they start speaking in tongues, we all can know. And they say, okay, hold on. What do we have to have? We have to have an interpreter. So if there's not an interpreter to interpret that, that doesn't count. It doesn't work. You can't run and have a bunch of people just all talking in tongues. It's, he even says like, it would be chaos. They would think that people were out of their mind and what was going on. So, so if, we're, if I'm preaching one day and someone stands up and starts speaking in tongues, my first question is this. Is there anyone in here with the gift of interpretation? And if there is not, I'd say, sir, ma'am, can you please sit down? That is not how that's going to work. And that's just going by scripture. So I, I would just say this. Just because someone has a gift or an ability doesn't mean that they get to use it however they want. Okay? I think it's something we just need to understand. Um, let me just be really clear. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. There are many men smarter than me. There are many women that are much smarter than me and smarter in theology. I have no problem saying that. Not one bit. I read some people, I'm like, wow, that's, that is brilliant. I, I, don't, I don't think on that level. It's not saying that I am smarter than all women. It's not saying that women are inferior. I think that women do have the gift of teaching and communicating God's word. But there is a way to do it. And God has given the appropriate place for that to take place. In Titus 2, Titus 2, 3 through 5, it actually tells us what that section is. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So women have a place to use those gifts. And I would say this, and this I'm, I'm a little off my notes right now, but here we go. The, the reality is this. I think that when we see the original design that God had made for man and woman and for what he would want family to look like and to represent him and who he is, he uses the analogy of family all throughout the Bible, doesn't he? God is our father. Jesus is his son, that we are his children, that he's using these analogies all through the Bible. The gift that he's given us as the church is also an example of family, isn't it? What do we call each other? Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? So that analogy blends into who we are as a church. And the church is always this example of how God's family, how his children function and work. That there is submission in place as well. And so if you look at headship in a home with a, a husband and a wife, that there is headship in the church as well. That the elders are the headship of the church. That those are male roles that are set there. And so the problem is this. Our culture has gone sideways and the family is demolished. 
We don't have a picture for what that looks like. And so it's contrary to what we see, so we look to the culture at times to define what family should look like, and it's a disaster from what God has designed. See, now I'm preaching. I'm getting excited. I gotta, I gotta bring it down. I gotta slow it down and not get so excited. So that's the difference. So let me, let me ask this. Why is this important? Why is this so important? Simon, why are you so hung up on women and their roles and pastors and preaching and teaching? Why do you get all worked up about it? It's what's behind the issue, okay? It's really what's behind it and where it leads. Um, I lived in Seattle. You're like, yeah, I know, Simon. You talk about it all the time. And I talk about the deliverance that God gave me to Southern California and how he saved me from that. The reality is this. I was around a lot of churches in a very, very liberal the world was just liberal. Everything was liberal. So in our area, we were one church out of 17 in a one-mile radius, okay? Uh, and in that one-mile radius, we were the only church that was not open and affirming of homosexual practice and pastors. 17 churches, one mile. Let me tell you something. Almost every one of those churches started with the theology of having women as their pastors. Now, I am not... It's not causation, okay? That's not what I'm getting at, but what I'm saying is this. What we're talking about tonight is called theological gymnastics. I'm gonna jump through so many hoops and so many holes, and I'm gonna finagle this verse and tweak this and hope that you don't know your Bible so you don't know the words that I'm using, and I'm gonna pretend like this is this, but it's really not that, and I'm gonna bring a bunch of verses and a bunch of names, and I'm gonna infer a bunch of things that might be true and may not be true, I'm taking obscure verses and I'm putting those above very clear verses. You can't do that. Because here's the thing. If you can do that with this, what's next? All those churches that became open and firm, you had to start someplace. How can I get around this theology that I don't like? What can I do to make my passions and desires and the tickling of my ears be known. See, Paul knew what he was talking about from the very get-go. He's like, there is a danger here, Timothy. And if we don't stand on God's word, we are in a whole lot of trouble. We're gonna get ourselves into a whole heap of issues because this starts with, it's okay to be open and affirming. It's okay to be gay. We can have gay pastors. We can, uh, you can be trans. You can be any gender you want. This is where this leads. And I use the term slippery slope, and I have a couple of friends that hate that term. That's not true. I said, well, help me, help me out. It's not. I've watched it. I've seen it. It's happening. We are going to be persecuted. We read that. That was the first thing we read. We're going to hold to God's word. We're going to live righteous lives, and we're going to be persecuted. Why? Because we are going against the culture. We want to love the culture with the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, not love the culture and patronize them. It's not loving to lie to someone. And so we want to be truthful people. We can't bend on these things. And, and the reality is, the, the, the problem with this is I've seen churches go one of two ways. We just swing the pendulum one way. Either you can do everything or you can do nothing. Shut up. Don't talk. You can be in the kitchen ministry, but they got to be barefoot. Like those are the extremes that we go with at times with people. And those are both wrong. Those are both unbiblical. God has designed this to work in a way that brings him the most glory. When it's used in a way that reflects him, who he is and how he's designed this world. That everything that we do and how we govern our church is actually a reflection of God and who he is and what he's doing. I don't do it perfectly, but we're trying the best we can. I don't want to do less than what God says we can do, and I don't want to do more than what God says we can do. I want to do what God says. This is good. And so we have women in some great roles around here at our church, and we strive to make sure that they are heard because they are a helper and they are a blessing, and we should thank the Lord for them. But just like anything, we want to use that in its appropriate space to do those things so God will be most glorified. This is what it means to be a complementarian, that we are equal. We are equal with distinct roles. 
That's where we need to fall with this. Like I said before, we love and value women. They are an amazing gift. It has been one of the greatest gifts. Outside of my salvation through Jesus Christ, a woman has been the greatest gift that God has ever given me. My wife, not my mom. I love my mom, it's my wife. I'm talking about my wife. <laughs> and my mom too. My mom too. And so, I mean, think about how many of us have, as children, if we lived in a Christian home, how they taught the Lord's word to us, how they prayed with us at night, how they read scripture to us, how they pointed us to Jesus when we made mistakes. And so I want to just, I want to end here. We've kind of hit the time frame. I think eh, I went longer than I thought. Sorry, guys. Um, but here's what I want to do. I, I, hopefully uh, you had gotten some questions or some things to the guys. and They've been sorting through it. And so um, maybe you don't have anything and I can just drink this golf drink and get better at golf. You have any, if you have anything written down, go ahead and hand that to Lynn. Should I get back there? Uh, do we get anything texted in in the back that we can go for? No text. You guys are just a paper people. So, and that's fine. That's okay. So we got a couple of questions and Mark's going to read those to me in a second. As we get, as they're reading those, let me ask a question. Is this kind of format, would you say that this is helpful? That this is something that you find beneficial to what we want? Okay. This is something that we want to try to figure out how to do. We don't know the, the rotation of it just yet, but I, I would like us to start looking at more of the culture of the world that we live in. And like I said, I just want to read God's word and I want to lay it over whatever we're studying. And you know what's funny? Over the years, God has opened my eyes to things that I didn't understand or know. And all I have done is read God's word. Okay, we got a question. All right, the first question is, do we have a responsibility to point out to the world the error in their doctrine? So here, yeah, because I'll... Here's where I would land with that. Um, when we have false doctrine, we gotta be, we gotta be wise with that. So um, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when it comes to this particular theology, um, I do know a lot of churches that, that do hold to an egalitarian view and um, they do love Jesus and they do wanna preach the gospel and they, wanted, they want to be true to his word. I think that it gets problematic with some passages when, when you're in that particular position. And so um, I don't want to run around calling people heretics everywhere we go. I wanna be careful with that, that, that terminology. I think it's a great discussion question. I think it's a, uh, a question, if it's someone that you know, someone that you're engaged with, say, hey, can we have a conversation? Like, I just sat down with my pastor and he, he just kind of walked through a bunch of passages and some things and I was really interested in that. And you have this contrary view, like help me understand where you are and just have a conversation. And I would say the best tool you can bring is this one. Like, can we just open God's word and look at it? And can you just help me do that? So I think that there's a way to do that without being a jerk. Um, <laughs> and I said it because I've been on that side of being a jerk. Like, I'm going to argue you. And you know what I've come to find? Like, debates on Facebook and Instagram don't really change people's minds, oddly enough. It's weird. Um, I think that if we have any hope of trying to show people truth, it's going to be through love and through kindness um, while sticking to truth. I'm not saying don't be true, but I'm saying if you want any hope of, of letting them see truth, like to sit down and have a real conversation, you can do that. Um, I have friends that I've disagreed with over the years, and I said, well, let's just talk. And sometimes uh, I've been able to show them things that they've like, oh, I've, they go, oh I've, never, I've never seen that. I've never thought about that before. I remember I was in an interview one time, and they invited me to come to be the lead pastor of a church in Lincoln, California. And um, I was all excited about it, and I show up to the interview, and like, they're like, this is the elder board, and there's like three women there. I'm like, and I just, I stop. I'm like, why am I here? They're like, well, we think you're great. I'm all, you have my statement of faith, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, so why did you invite me? Because I clearly said that this is where I stand. I'm a complementarian. This is where I stand on the role of men and women. And, and they're like, well, we just thought that maybe you'd see things our way, and you'd want to be a part of our church. And so I then spent the next four hours having a discussion with them. And by the end of that discussion, they're like, we've never heard any of this teaching because the guy who came here last, 
he came and he taught us all this stuff. We changed our bylaws and then he left the church and now we have to find a pastor. And I said, I, I, said, I just want to be kind and loving, but that was the most unloving thing that he could have done is to do that and then to take off. And as we talked about it, everyone on, in that group, they're like, we've never heard these truths before. And they actually called off the entire search because they said, we don't know who we are. I think that God brought me there in that moment to be a voice of reason to them in that way. I wasn't, try, I wasn't condemning, I wasn't rude, and I wasn't disrespectful. And I just told the women in that room, I said, listen, I said, I value you. I said, but you have to understand, if you vote me as your pastor, you're voting yourself off of that board. I said, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna turn on the convictions that I believe that God has clearly laid out in the Bible. And that was a very, I had like four or five of those talks, to be perfectly honest. Um, and it's always been very interesting that God's placed me in those spots to do that. So does that, uh, that kind of answer that question? I don't know. Okay. Can you explain 1 Corinthians 14, 34, the women should keep silent in the churches? Does this only refer to preaching and teaching to a mixed audience in worship services? I was going to be really funny, but I'm not. Good choice. I'm going to shut my <laughs> mouth on that one. <laughs> um, as I have seen this play out, it really has a lot to do with the headship of the male in the house and seeking out that from the male. There are some that would say that the cultural context of that time is that there was so many questions being asked that it was actually disrupting the flow of their time and teaching. So that's one of the teachings that I've heard on that. And it was really that the man would be allowed to be the spiritual head of that family. Um, I think where that becomes really complicated is when you're not married to a Christian husband. <laughs> I think that gets really hard really quick. Um, we clearly have women who share their testimony and that have sung songs. I mean, we had two different, uh, I mean, Allegra's up here and she's, she's, she, she's not silent. If you know Allegra, she's not quiet. So <laughs> love her to death, right? And so um, we're talking through setting doctrine. We're just talking about from the pulpit of like saying, this is, this is where we stand as a church. This is what God's word says is authoritative way of communicating God's word. Uh, what is the role of women deacons? And are we allowed to know who in our church are those people? Yes, we should know. Um, we have a number of deaconesses. Uh, we had a deacon, he moved. So... <laughs> kept a feather in his cap, and so he took that feather with him and left. So um, we currently only have uh, deaconesses at this point. The role of the deaconesses that we have actually is reaching out to our older community of women. Uh, they're constantly going. They're doing house visits. They're doing hospital visits. They're praying with them. They're writing letters of encouragement. I mean, they're just loving on, on the women that are there. Jeannie, you are still a deaconess, correct? Yeah, so Jeannie's still a deaconess. I double check. I mean, she's, she's like in full grandma mode right now, so it's hard to know. But... Um, yeah, I mean, so she's on there. Um, Leanne is uh, obviously the head of the deaconess board. Am I missing anybody who's in here as a deaconess? I'm sorry if I am. Oh, sorry, Carol, I didn't see you. You're in the dark, in the dark. I know you are. <laughs> I can't see. Not up here. You're in the dark from up here. So um, those women, and I'll say this, what they're doing in the church is so key. It's so clutch, like they, they are able to love so many women so well, and I thank them all the time. They, like What they do is gold. Um, and if, as you look at the role of deacons in the church, I, I'm gonna be loose with how I say this. They're really more of the hands that are in, they're in the trenches. They really are in the trenches when it comes to it. So you'll see a lot of times deacons, deaconesses will be over projects or different attributes of things that need to get done. Say, hey, we want you to kind of head this up and run this. So that's how we see that. But our deaconesses are really about the care and the nurturing of the women in our church, and they do a fantastic job. What would you say about women faculty teaching theology and doctrine in seminary and Christian colleges? <coughs> it's not a church. I'm okay with that. I mean, they're teaching that, right? So I don't have a problem with that. It's not a church. We're not talking about church governance there. We're talking about a school that's teaching those things and that they're able to use their gifts and abilities there. So maybe you're like, well, I do have that gift and ability, but I'd like to have a broader spectrum of teaching. Man, that's a great avenue. That's a great avenue to do that. When, when women witness to others, is that preaching? No, we're all called to share the gospel, right? As a Christian, we're all called to that. So no, that's not. I mean, we, you better be. <laughs> we're all called to that. I mean, that's, that's like the greatest thing we could ever do. That's, man, I, yeah, no. 
Is that good? We, we right. are done on the questions. There, there's someone that has a really good question about the canon of Scripture, but I would love for that person just to talk to you one-on-one so we're not moving sure. subjects. Yeah. So, no, we're good. I, I would say this, man. Thank you so much for um, coming here tonight out of your busy schedule. I know it's kind of a weird night to be here, but we we're just trying to find a time to do that. Uh, a lot of this, what, we, didn't, we didn't live stream this. Um, we did record it for ourselves just to have a copy, but it was one of those things where we just wanted to be something as you talk about our church as we're talking with who we are, and you may not be from the church, that's fine. We'd love for you to kind of know this is who we are, this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, um, but we really want to serve our church body. I've been more and more pressed, I feel, by God to make sure that we are just knowing who we are as a church and why we believe what we believe, and just, I just want to, I want to teach, and I want you guys to learn, and I want to learn. Dave, yes? When can we expect this again? Yeah, <laughs> I've opened up Pandora's box. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Awesome. Bill, you had something you want to say? <laughs> uh, we don't know. So we're in the process of trying to figure out how we... So I'll, I'll, all cards on the table. I want us to be doing a lot more teaching and study in specific areas in God's Word as we move forward. Um, as I've... Um, I've been talking with the elders and just, man, we want to know God's word inside and out. We just want to understand. We want to be so saturated with it. When we speak, we bleed scripture. We, that's what we want to do, right? That's how we want to live. And so we are starting to develop areas where we can actually just dive in more and deeper and get into that. Kim, you have something you want to say? No, we, yeah, agreed. I mean, we have a lot of Christians that are, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. I, I agree 100%. We have Christians that are being led astray by the culture, and, and they're saying, well, I'm a Christian, and then they say, I agree with this, this, and this. You're like, what, what are you talking about? Like, God says no to that. Like, that, he would call that wicked and evil, and we don't want to be a part of anything that's a distortion of who he is or his truth. So, uh, yes. Yeah, we're going to make sure that we kind of keep that. And so we'll look at that. Um, we got a good response. So thank you guys for being here. Uh, let me pray and we'll send us out and get out of here. Lord Jesus, you are so good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to know truth. Um, in a world where it seems like we can't know truth, we can. And it is through your word and your word alone. I ask that we would be men and women that continually press into it and stand on it firm, that we would not be tossed to and fro as the waves of doctrine go around us, and that we would not pursue our own desires and passions, but we would pursue your desires and your passions for our lives because you have given us a new heart because of Jesus Christ. We love you. Thank you for these people in this church. Pray this in your name. Amen.